0: Chapter Twenty Two of Kings, Queens, and Pawns. An American Woman at the Front. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Blanchard. Kings, Queens, and Pawns. An American Woman at the Front. By Mary Roberts Reinhardt chapter twenty two the women at the front it was commencing to rain outside the rain beat on the windows and made even the reluctant fire seem cosy someone had had a box of candy sent from home it was brought out and presented with a flourish it is frightful this life in the trenches said the young officer who passed it about shortly afterwards the party was increased An orderly came in and announced that an Englishwoman, whose automobile had broken down, was standing on the bridge over the canal, and asked to be admitted. She did not know the password, and the sentry refused to let her pass by. One of the officers went out and returned, in a few moments with a small lady, much wrapped in veils and extremely wet. She stood blinking in the doorway, in the accustomed light, She was recognized at once as a well-known English novelist, who is conducting a soup kitchen at the railroad station, three miles behind the Belgian front. A cow was to have picked me up, she said, but I have walked and walked, and it has not come, and I am so cold. Is that tea? And may I come into the fire? So they settled her comfortably, with her feet thrust out to the blaze, and gave her hot tea and plenty of bread and butter it is like a mad hatter's tea party in alice in wonderland said one of the officers gaily when any fresh person drops in we just move up one place the novelist sipped her tea and told me about her soup kitchen it is so very hard to get things to put into the soup she said of course i have no car and now with the new law that no women are to be allowed in military cars i hardly know what to do Will you tell me just what you do? I asked. So she told me, and later I saw her soup kitchen. Men come in from the front, she explained, injured and without food. Often they have had nothing to eat for a long time. We make soup of whatever meat we can find, and any vegetables. And as the hospital trains come in, we carry it out to the men. They are so very grateful for it. That was to be an extraordinary afternoon at the naval air station. For hardly had the novelist been settled, with her tea, when two very attractive but strangely attired young women came into the room. They nodded to the officers, whom they knew, and went at once to the business which had brought them. Can you lend us a car? they asked. Ours has gone off the road, into the mud, and it looks as though it would never move again. That was the beginning of the very strange evening, ALMOST AN EXTRAORDINARY EVENING, FOR WHILE THE NOVELIST WAS ON HER WAY BACK TO PEACE, THESE YOUNG WOMEN WERE ON THEIR WAY HOME, AND HOME TO THEM WAS ONE ROOM OF THE SHATTERED HOUSE DIRECTLY ON THE FIRING LINE. MUCH HAD BEEN SAID ABOUT WOMEN AT THE FRONT. AS FAR AS I KNOW, AT THE TIME, THERE WERE ONLY TWO WOMEN ABSOLUTELY AT THE FRONT. NURSES, AS A RULE, ARE KEPT MILES BEHIND THE LINE. HERE AND THERE A soup KITCHEN like that just spoken of, has held its courageous place three or four miles back along the lines of communication. I have said that they were extraordinarily dressed, rather they were most particularly dressed. Under khaki colored leather coats these two young women wore khaki riding breeches and putties and flannelette shirts. They had worn nothing else for six months. They wore knitted caps on their heads, for the weather was extremely cold, and mittens. The fire was blazing high, and we urged them to take off their outer wraps. For a reason we did not understand at the time they refused. They sat with their leather coats buttoned to the throat, and colored violently when urged to remove them. But what are you doing here? said one of the officers. What brings you so far from P? They said they had an errand and went on drinking tea. What sort of an errand? a young lieutenant demanded. They exchanged glances. Shopping, they said, and took more tea. Shopping for what? He was smiling impertinent. They hesitated. Then, for mutton, one of them replied. Both looked relieved. Evidently the mutton was an inspiration. We have found some mutton. They turned to me, It is a real festival. You have no idea how long it is since we've had anything of the sort. Mutton, cried the novelist, with frankly greedy eyes. It makes wonderful soup. Where can I get it? They told her, and she stood up, tied on her seven veils, and departed, rejoicing, in a car that had come for her. When she was gone, Colonel M. turned to one of the young women. Now, he said, out with it what brings you both so far from your thriving and prosperous little community the irony of that was lost on me until later when i discovered that the said community was a destroyed town with the advanced line of trenches running through it and that they lived in the only two whole rooms in the place out with it said the colonel and scoured ferociously driven into a corner they were obliged to confess for three hours that afternoon they had stood in a freezing wind on a desolate field while king albert of belgium decorated for bravery various officers and themselves the jealously fastened coats were thrown open gleaming on the breast of each young woman was the star of the order of leopold but why did you not tell us the officers demanded because was the retort you have never approved of us you have always wanted us sent back to England. The whole British army has objected to our being where we are. Much good the objection has done, grumbled the officers, but in their hearts they were very proud. Originally, there had been three in the valiant little group of young aristocrats who had proved as true as their brothers to the traditions of their race. The third one was the daughter of an earl. She, too, had been decorated, but she had gone to a little town nearby a day or two before. But what do you do? I asked one of these young women. She was drawing on her mittens, ready to start for their car. Sick and sorry work, she said briefly. You know that sort of thing. I wish you would come out and have a dinner with us. There is to be mutton. I accepted promptly, but it was the situation, and not the mutton, that appealed to me it was arranged that they should go ahead and set things in motion for the meal, and that I should follow later. At the door one of them turned and smiled at me. They are shelling the village, she said. You don't mind, do you? Not at all, I replied, and I meant it, for I was no longer so gun-shy as I had been earlier in the winter. I had got over turning pale at the slamming of a door. I was terrified, perhaps, but my pride... Had come to my aid it was the english officers who disapproved so thoroughly who told me about them when they had gone of course they have no business there they said it's a frightful responsibility to place on the men at that part of the line but there's no question about the value of what they are doing and if they want to stay they deserve to be allowed to they go right into the trenches and they take care of the wounded until the ambulances can come up at night Wait until you see their house, and you will understand why they got those medals. And when I had seen their house, and spent an evening with them, I understood very well indeed. We gathered round the fire. Conversation was desultory. Muddy and weary young officers, who had been at the front all day, came in and warmed themselves for a moment before going up to their cold rooms. The owner of the broken windshield arrived and was placated, Continuous relays of tea were coming and going. Colonel, who had been in an observation balloon most of the day, spoke of balloon sickness. I have been in balloons of one sort and another for twenty years, he said. I never overcome the nausea. Very few airmen do. I spoke to him about a recent night attack by German aviators. It is remarkable work, he commented warmly. Hazardous in the extreme, and if anything goes wrong, They cannot see where they are coming down. Even when they are light in their own lines, landing safely is difficult. They are apt to wrecking their machines. The mention of German aeroplanes reminded one of the officers of an experience he had had just behind the firing line. I had been to the front, he said, and a mile or so behind the line a German aeroplane overtook the automobile. He flew low, with the evident intention of dropping a bomb on us. The chauffeur became excited, stalled the engine. At that moment, the aviator dropped the first bomb, killing a sow and a litter of young pigs beside the car, and breaking all the glass. Cranking failed to start the car. It was necessary while the machine manoeuvred to get overhead again, to lift the hood of the engine, examine a spark plug, and then crank the car. He dropped a second bomb which fell behind the car, and made a hole in the road. Then at last the engine started, and it took us a very short time to get out of that neighbourhood. The car he had spoke of was the car in which I had come out to the station. I could testify that something had broken the glass. One of the officers had just received what he said were official percentages of casualties in killed, wounded, and missing among the Allies, to the 1st of February. The Belgian percentage was sixty-six to three the English thirty-three one to three and the French seven i had no idea how accurate the figures were or his authority for them he spoke of them as official from casualties to hospitals and nurses was but a step i spoke warmly of the work the nurses near the front were doing but one officer disagreed with me although in the main his views were not held by the others the nurses at the base hospital should be changed every three months he said they get the worst cases there in incredible conditions after a time it tells on them I've seen it in a number of cases they grow callous to the suffering that's the time to bring up a new lot I think he is wrong I have seen many hospitals many nurses if there is a change in the nurses after a time it is that Like the soldiers in the field, they develop a philosophy which carries them through their terrible days. What must be must be, say the men at the trenches. What must be must be, say the nurses in the hospital. And both save themselves from madness. Chapter twenty two.